Happy Happy Jesus in Purgatory Day. Is Jesus in Purgatory or is he in hell today? Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean, two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and trouser in his perfect hands. Here comes George in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington. Hello and welcome to another POTUS Life. Today is April 15th, 2017, and this is episode 11. So, Justin, you're... And Jesus is in purgatory today. Jesus is in purgatory today. He doesn't Um, rise again until tomorrow, which is Easter. So, okay, so he's already been murdered on a cross. Copy. Okay, just making sure that that happened. Very violently. Copy that. Copy that. Mel Gibson torture porn style death. So, I mean, Christianity aside, do you think that a man named Jesus ever existed? Do you think that's a thing? Yes. He's my Lord and Savior. Yes. <laughs> 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 that's awesome. Well, it's uh, been a minute since our last little production there, Justin. My bad. I've been, you know, gallivanting around and going to boutique booze distilleries and having fun in upstate New York. You know how it is. So a lot's happening in the world right now. What do you think about the uh, United Passenger removed from an airplane? I never, I just want to state for the record, I never have, nor will I ever fly United. Like I've flown Delta, I've flown American. I will never fly United ever. What would have to happen for you to fly United? They're fucking filthy. They're just animals over there. I mean, and I don't just mean that because of this video that came out. I've never flown them. I fly a lot and I have never flown United because I think that they're just a really, really horrible airline. I've just, I've heard so many horror stories even before this. So, you know, I'm like, yep, stay away. Uh, What would it take if I, oh, if I needed a heart transplant and I needed to get onto an airplane or I would die to get to somewhere, I would do it. What if you were in a a wedding party and you Uh were going to miss the wedding? Mm -hmm. Would you fly United? Ooh. Whose wedding? Mine. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay. Okay. I would do for you, Justin, for you. I would do it. I'd do it for you. I think that passenger was just very low energy. I, you wanted more out of the performance? Yeah, he was, he reminded me a lot of Jeb, Jeb Bush, that is. Before before we dig in too deep, let's do a quick recap. We've got a lot to cover today, I believe. I have a lot. Anyway, the American colonies have officially declared their independence, which is a pretty big deal. Before this point, they had not officially committed treason, if you will. It was more of an open rebellion, you know, no big deal. The leaders of the rebellion would definitely have not been given any mercy if captured, but a lot of other people would have been shown mercy. However, 
Now that all these dudes put their name on a piece of paper and mailed it to King George, they sealed a pretty gruesome death for themselves if they lost the war. On June 9th, 1776, the Howe brothers, William Howe and Big Black Dick Richard Howe, sail into the waters around New York and were instructed by King George to work this shit out, one way or another. Overall, these dudes were to establish a peace and get the folks living in the American colonies to rejoin the British Empire. We then had that fun debacle where the brothers were trying to open dialogue with George by sending him a letter labeled, at first, George Washington. George and the leaders of the military were instructed by Congress to not accept any personal correspondence. The letter was rejected. Then the clever Howe brothers attempted to just add a bunch of etceteras at the end in hopes of capturing all and everything that he was, which was basically just a shitty way of saying, we're not going to call you what you want us to call you. The letter was also rejected. Then finally, they decide to address George as His Excellency. This time, the letter was accepted and a meeting between George and a British emissary followed. The emissary wanted to know if they could negotiate a truce and George was all, those dudes were sent here to pardon people and we don't want to be pardoned. We desire independence and they can't negotiate that. We left off our last episode talking about how George knew that this shit was on now. So he starts arming his troops. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't have the proper arms or uniforms, so he put his dudes in hunting shirts and started handing out spears. Remember that? Yeah? Oh, yeah, that was a good time. And then that about brings us to today. We're going to kind of be talking about the assault on New York. So good times. And all I have to say about that is, in the red corner, we have the British, 40,000 strong, 32,000 British troops, 8,000 Hessian mercenaries, and 70 warships, which is actually half of the British fleet. In the blue corner, we have the Americans, 10,500 weak, and 3,000 of that number unable to fight, suffering from various illnesses and zero Navy to speak of. I would say... What was that voice that you, you like were it? just doing? Is it okay? Is it bad? I don't know what the what what were you going for? Like uh, the step right up voice? No, no, no. You got like the like the boxer guy. Like when the when <laughs> yes, the thing uh, comes yes, down from the. But it sounded like you were barking. It sounded like you were barking at a circus. <laughs> Maybe I was. Listen, I've been drinking over here. Don't you judge me, Justin? Just because you're <laughs> but, sober today for like the first show we've ever done, don't you judge me over there? Well, overall, what I'm trying to get is the odds were not good. 40,000 British troops, 10,000 American troops. Why do I all all of a sudden want to go see like a bearded lady? Maybe you should. I think I did it. Step right up. (laughs) Get out of here. Leave it alone. Um, George wrote to the governor of New Jersey stating that when I compare the British army with that which we have to oppose them, I cannot help feeling very anxious and apprehension. George didn't quite know the exact numbers, But when you are outnumbered four to one, it's pretty noticeable you don't quite have that manpower you will need to fight them with any equal footing. Not to fear, though, a bunch of young boys and old men labeled militia began to descend upon New York. So there's that. On August 20th, George stated in general orders that, quote, we must resolve to conquer or die. And damn, George. He also added some religious stuff in there, stating in the same general orders that, quote, With this resolve and the blessing of heaven, victory and success certainly will attend us. Nice bullshitting, George. 
the night of August 21st, a really sort of creepy and foreboding thing happened. A massive lightning storm. Major Abner Benedict atopped his perch at Brickland Heights, said of the storm, quote, In a few minutes, the entire heavens became black as ink, and from horizon to horizon, the whole Imperium was ablaze with lightning. The lightning fell in mass and sheets of fire to earth and seemed to strike incessantly and on every side. That's some scary shit, I guess. Especially if you're... I mean, if you're like, imagine this. You're a superstitious, poorly educated militia man. You're going to be all like, I got a bad feeling about this. Yeah, you're bound to follow some classic movie tropes. Like, if you think... Right. If you think... If you think that this massive, big lightning storm, I mean, you could be superstitious. I, I just truly believe it. Some people were like, shit. To amplify those bad feelings, the British were very present in the harbors around Long Island and in the Hudson. Yet, they were not doing anything, just sitting there. George didn't know what to think of this, actually. I don't think the British were trying to do anything intentionally ominous. Are you hearing these children outside my window? I hear... I hear a menagerie of children behind your window. Oh, it just makes me so angry. It's, you know what? It's cool. There's though. something about the, the sound of children having fun <laughs> on a nice day that makes, that interferes you know, with my podcasting recordings. It makes me so angry. I think that's how George felt about all the black kids playing around his property. Like he was just mad about it all the time. <laughs> he used to yell at all the slave kids that's the thing <laughs> that's how you feel right now you want to go up and be like hey get out of here scram you're ruining it <laughs> you're ruining Mount Vernon <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> anyway to amplify the bad feelings the British were very present in the harbors around Long Island and the Hudson Yet they were not doing anything. They were just kind of sitting there. George didn't really know what to make of this. I don't think that the British were trying to do anything intentionally ominous. George Howe simply wanted to give a new round of Hessians that had just arrived a chance to recoup after their long sea journey. General Howe was also waiting a minute to see if George would peacefully surrender. I mean, Howe just sent George a letter titling him as His Excellency. They're basically best friends now, so why continue to fight? Meanwhile... George is over in New York thinking to himself, what the fuck? These dudes keep talking about peace, yet their presence continues to grow. And I really have no fucking clue where the hell they're going to attempt to land all of these soldiers. So I want to take just like a minute and attempt to describe where we are. So we're talking about Manhattan. We're talking about the Hudson River. We're talking about the East River. And we're going to be talking about Long Island today. Long Island and Long Island's really get me messed up. <laughs> I say it on Long, Long Island. Island iced tea. Well, oh yeah, that'll do it. That will do it. So the area that we're talking about, New York City. And I only think that we need to pause just a moment to describe this because believe it or not, we actually have like a pretty massive group of people from Australia, the UK, and Canada listening. And maybe they're not necessarily familiar with this exact area. So New York is close to the ocean. New York City, that is, is where New York State is, close to the ocean, upper northeast of the United States. 
it's a harbor. We've kind of discussed it a little bit. Boats come in and out. Like the British were basically kind of like fucking sailing their ships all around this place. In this area, Long Island is kind of off to the very far east. It's a long kind of L-shaped island with the L pointing, the little toe of the L pointing kind of south. So we've got that. And then just west of that, we have a little thing called the Narrows, which leads to the Hudson River. It's where the ocean feeds the Hudson River. And then that splits off to the right into the East River. And the island that it splits around is Manhattan which is exactly where New York is located. It's located at the peak of this Manhattan Island, which is, again, just to the west of Long Island, west, north, northwest. So Washington is trying to secure all the waterways around the island of Manhattan. He doesn't want the British to surround the island. He knows if the British take Manhattan, it will not easily be recovered. Same goes for Long Island, but he is aware that this is a much larger place. Long Island is at least 10 times the size of Manhattan look at it on a map. Washington begins to sink ships around the southernmost point of Manhattan. This is where the Hudson River splits to the North Hudson River and then goes to the East River called the Hudson to the North and the East River to the Southeast. Washington begins to land troops in areas that could be beneficial beachheads for them. George also puts spiked objects in the southern portions of the East River, the river just to the right of Manhattan. On August 22nd, however, General Howe begins to play his hand. He establishes a secure landing zone on the southwestern tip of Long Island in a bay called Gravesend. It's fucking, like, weird name, Gravesend. With the military precision that the Brits are definitely known for, Howe manages to land 22,000 soldiers at Gravesend. Unfortunately, whoever the hell Washington sends to scout for troops, mm, he kind of miscounts and reports that only about 8,000 or 9,000 troops land. At this point, Washington's thinking to himself, are they just pulling my fucking leg? Are they attempting a, quote, feign upon Long Island to draw our forces into that quarter? No, George, they are actually just landing a fuck ton of troops there. Sometimes something is exactly what it looks like, a full-scale invasion. Chernow makes a funny point in the book Washington A Life. He states, in retrospect, it is hard to see how Washington's strategic vision could have been so clouded as 90 British ships conducted a grand-scale movement in the Narrows. I agree with Chernow on this one. Washington was being a dum-dum. The next day, on August 23rd, Washington tours the Long Island defenses with General Sullivan and deploys more troops to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn is located centrally on the western shore of Long Island. A very short boat ride across the East River from New York. So Manhattan, again, just to the left of Long Island. So you could, in the center of this little L bottom foot shaped thing, you could just kind of go from New York to Brooklyn in just a second. No big deal. The next day on August 23rd, Washington tours the Long Island defenses with General Sullivan and deploys more troops to Brooklyn, located centrally on the western shore of Long Island, a very short boat ride across the East River from New York. This makes the total troop count in Brooklyn around 6,000 men. Washington also sends 3,000 men to a wooded hilly area called Gowanus Heights, which is really funny because it's spelled G-O-W. A-N-U-S, so Goanus Heights. <laughs> yeah, the Heights. hilarious. I don't know, I, I, I don't like that. The Heights run east and west across Long Island, essentially cutting off the southernmost tip where the British were landing. Washington hopes that with a concentrated force in Brooklyn, which can be rerouted 
where needed in Long Island. Combined with the troops he positioned in Gowanus Heights, the British could be slowed or stopped from consuming the entirety of Long Island. And trust me, not only did they want Long Island, they desperately, this is the British, wanted New York. With these areas under British control, they would control a major portion of the waterways, the highways and byways of the 1700s. This would allow them to starve the patriotic cause to death. Washington was super optimistic about the forces on Long Island. He was most definitely outnumbered, although how outnumbered he was quite unaware. In the general orders of August 23rd, 1776, Washington would seem to believe the courage of his men could overcome the lack of numbers. Quote, what a few brave men contending in their own land and in the best causes can do against the base hirelings and mercenaries. Good luck with that, George. Although, to ensure his soldiers would stand and fight, he reiterated that anyone fleeing from a site or battle would be shot dead. That kind of motivation probably worked a little better. The 44-year-old Washington was out of his depth, and that was becoming clear day by day. In a moment of desperation, he switched out who was in charge of Brooklyn. General Sullivan was out, and General Israel Putnam was in. General Putnam, a.k.a. Old Putt, was an interesting character. My favorite thing about him was that he could barely spell. And when I say barely, let me put it this way. Reading his journals and letters is very much like walking into a kindergarten class and attempting to decipher the scribbles of a five-year-old. So our drowning Washington heads over to Long Island on the 25th to once again inspect the troops there. I love the description Chernot provides us. He states that the camps in Long Island look more like a crazy carnival with men roaming higgledy piggledy and firing muskets at random. This prompts Washington to give old putters a bit of a kick in the pants, stating, quote, the distinction... I have a problem with how you just said higgledy piggledy. That's how, it's, that's how it is spelled. I have a problem with that, is, with that, that being is, said by anyone. That is, exa- that is a quote from the book that we are sourcing Congratulations. Well, I think we need a different book. <laughs> but let's continue. This prompts Washington to give old putters a bit of a kick in the pants, stating, quote, The distinction between a well-regulated army and a mob is the discipline of the first and the licentious and disorderly behavior of the latter. It wasn't until around August 26th, 6th, four days after General Howe begins to land troops on Long Island, that things become clear to Washington. Imagine Washington standing up on Goanus Heights and he looks through his fancy binoculars and sees about five miles of neat white tents in front of him. Then, to his surprise, the mass of British ships that were gathering in Gravesend Bay begin to head back out to sea. These are the forces. The time of attack is nearing. And George has an embarrassingly small presence on Long Island. He left over half of his forces in Manhattan. He didn't really know where anyone was going. So he's like, uh, send some troops to Brooklyn, keep some over here, move them around. He really thought that the British were going to attempt to hit New York directly, not via Long Island. So he just didn't have the numbers. So what does Washington do in this seemingly desperate moment? He sits down and writes to Lund, Washington. He wanted to touch base about some flour he was planning to sell, chimney repairs, and that seemingly never-ending addition to Mount Vernon. He also adds, quote, 
If I did not think our struggles just, sure I am that no pecuniary satisfaction upon earth can compensate the loss of my domestic happiness and requite me for the load of business which constantly presses upon and deprives me of every enjoyment. Uh, Basically, someone should remove all the sharp object from George's tent. Uh, Sounds like he's in a dark place. He should just go down to take the whole operation down to Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> we need a party, guys. We need to loosen it up a little bit. You know. <laughs> Has some really nice, just the best chocolate cake ever. Although he, you and know what? Impress the Chinese president with chocolate cake. And I wonder if Washington's daughter could sing Mandarin. Jesus Christ. Did you know about that? No. Oh, his granddaughter sang to them in Mandarin and then spoke like phrases in Mandarin to them afterwards. (laughs) We are about to get into the meat of an engagement, but hang with me while I'll explain the geography of the battlefield. So the British have been getting themselves set up by Gravesend Bay. Remember that? Hold on. Sorry, I'm going to burp. By Gravesend Bay, they are planning to march north to engage the Americans. There are three roads that lead out of the beachhead of Gravesend. They all move in a northern direction. The most western road travels along the Hudson River and goes to Brooklyn. Western road, this road to the west, is called Goanus Road. The second road, the middle road, heads to a city called Flatbush and eventually a city called Bedford. These cities are very centrally located on Long Island. The third road runs up to the closest to the ocean on the far eastern side of Long Island. This is called the Jamaican Pass. Washington wants to make sure that the western Goanus Road was decently protected. He assumed this is where the enemy would send a bulk of its forces, up along the Hudson where the British naval vessels could provide some softening fire ahead of the land movements. He also wanted to make sure the central road out of Flatbush was protected. There was a road that went from Flatbush and traveled west to Brooklyn. He assumed this would be a good second way for the British to enter into Brooklyn. George was ready for a two-pronged attack. Unfortunately, George was not prepared for a three-pronged attack. Those tricky fucking Brits. George had no troops positioned on the easternmost Jamaican Pass. You fucking better believe that a veteran like Howe took note of this massive hole in the American defenses. General Howe's three-pronged plan went like this. Scottish General James Grant would take a small force up western Goanus Pass. Hessian General Leopold Philip would take a slightly larger yet still nimble force up the central road past Flatbush and harass American forces in the heights there. And while all this was going on, General Howe and friends would take a massive force of troops up the eastern Jamaican Pass, take a hard left to head west and head to the Goanus Heights, then head south once they were on top of the American troops stationed on the heights. This would essentially cut off Brooklyn and trap the forces protecting the eastern Goanus Pass and the Goanus Heights. Washington was woken on the night of the 26th. This shit was starting to go down. He was informed that Scottish General Grant was heading up the Goanus Pass. George had planned for this. When George got up at dawn on the 27th, his hunch was furthermore concerned because five warships were sighted heading towards the Hudson along the Goanus Pass. 
Luckily for George, the winds literally changed and the ships were blown back out to sea. Fucking tricky ass fucking sailboats going wherever the wind goes, you know, keeping it cool. If the ships were able to reach Brooklyn, this battle may have been the end for George. George himself heads over to the fort in Brooklyn and he begins to order soldiers from Manhattan to head to Long Island. At this point, it was pretty clear that Manhattan was not the point of attack. The shit was getting fucking real. There is a possibly romanticized quote by George Washington, although I find it pretty on par with the way he actually acted in the past. It goes, quote, If I see any man turn his back today, I will shoot him through. I have two pistols loaded, but I will not ask any man to go any further than I am willing to go. That's kind of a fucking intense quote, George. On the eastern front around the Goanus Road, Lord Sterling, who was an American of Scottish descent and actually had a title as Lord, which I was like getting so confused because I'm like, they keep talking about Lord Sterling and this sounds like he should be a British guy, but he's actually an American guy. Weird. Um, So on the eastern front, all these guys start coming up to Brooklyn. He fought for four hours. He, was eventually, he eventually would be overcome by 700 British troops that were trying to make their way to Brooklyn. Luckily for Lord Sterling... You the, mean 7,000 British troops. Did I say 700? You did. Oh, silly bitch. He eventually would be overcome by 7,000 British troops. Luckily for Lord Sterling, the 1st Maryland Regiment who was experiencing battle for the first time, refused to surrender a pass that would allow Sullivan's men to escape. Unfortunately, of the men protecting this pass, half would perish. Washington would note of these heroic men, Good God, what brave fellows I must lose this day. Well, things are becoming a bit Mel Gibson-y, which is (laughs) is great considering this is Easter weekend. (laughs) Hessian troops began advancing up the heights of Guana in superior forces. They're, of course, better equipped. They have bayonets, which bayonets are huge at this time. The colonials do not have bayonets. And remember that this area is thickly wooded and bayonets are devastating on this type of terrain. General Sullivan had about 3,500 militiamen to keep these Hessians. And Haitians, Hessians, <laughs> Hessians, Hessians at bay. <laughs> Haitians would be a, from Haiti. <laughs> and <Anne> Haitians, <laughs> you know who Anne Haitians? She's completely fucking nuts. So my point being that thirty-five hundred men is just not enough. They are stretched over miles of woods. They need to fall back, but it's too late. They're surrounded before they get a chance to retreat. They're being fired on from every direction. And this is where even the toughest of men start losing their courage without a good good pep talk. The Hessians seize the opportunity to close in on inferior numbers. They bayonet charge the shit out of them. It's a rout. The British are like, damn, how uncivilized. Damn. But really, this brutality was what they were hoping for. They were probably thinking... The more brutal these early engagements are, the more likely the colonials will quit and they can go home, be with their whorish British wives. Or go to just another battle and keep fighting and pillaging and imperializing the world. Well, and you put it that way. Well, I mean, these were, these after all, they were yeah. 
At this point, many of Sullivan's men surrender. The Hessians impale some of these captives to trees for good measure. The prisoners they did not thumbtack to trees become slaves, dragon cannons and shit like that. So how did General Sullivan become surrounded so quickly? The Howe, Clinton, Cornwallis trifecta had stolen a night's march on the defending force. They were able to sneak 10,000 men through a gap along the Jamaica Pass. 10,000 troops just sneaky, sneaky right by you. Don't mind me. That's basically Saruman's entire army at Helm's Deep just getting by you overnight. They're going to eat man flesh. What is it? What do you smell? Man flesh. (laughs) I smell man flesh. I smell man flesh. (laughs) And that was the brilliant strategy that allowed British forces to advance beyond the heights of bat shit. Guana. Walk right in. It's brilliant. Saruman's Urukai kill 300 colonials and capture 1,000 more. They also capture two of Washington's generals. It's not been a good day. No. And I can't help but chuckle at John Adams' commentary on the day. Oh my gosh. He said, in general, our generals (laughs) have been outgeneraled. Thanks. Thanks, John Adams. Thanks. <laughs> you did it. That's a good one. <laughs> it really is. In generals, in general, our generals have been out general. George's inexperience is poking out. Hey, George, your inexperience is unzipped. I can see your, I can see your inexperience. It's weird. He does hit a streak of luck. The Winklevoss brothers decide not to press the attack. They conclude that a direct attack on the fortifications would be too costly. They want to finish this thing on their own terms. They want to maneuver their attack a little bit. The British soldiers, on the other hand, want to press the advantage. British officers had to give repeated orders to fall back from cannon range. So the soldiers are thinking, finish him. Wins. Flawless victory fatality. Finish him. The brothers Howe would much rather sneak their warships behind colonial forces, which would really have them caught between a rock and a hard place. You know what I mean. More luck for Washington, though. The weather became particularly shitty. Too wet for a proper charge or a travel up the East River. The British must delay their preferred vice grip maneuver. The mud saves Washington. He's in a position that he cannot handle militarily. There's no way he can hold Brooklyn. So he and all of his generals agree to retreat across the East River to Manhattan. Run away, run away, run away. Yes. At this time, Manhattan was barely held. Had the British launched an attack, they would have encountered minimal resistance. And retreating is the only good choice to make for Washington. So he orders all 9,500 men over the river by cover of night. He personally oversaw the evacuation. This is 48 hours 
straight of activity from Washington. He barely left his horse. He probably did what I used to do when I used to stay up for consecutive days during college. Adderall. <laughs> you got any loose? Loose? I don't think they make those anymore, man. No? We got Ritterall. Ritterall? Yeah. Ritterall. Ooh, Snortsky. Oh, mmm. Oh, oh, that's tasty stuff. Tasty stuff. Mm. He was probably so anxious that he didn't need Adderall, though. The East River, the East River is a mile wide at its narrowest point, about where the Brooklyn Bridge is now. So he's going to need a lot of boats, so I tell you. <laughs> a lot of the boats used for this retreat are going to have to take many trips, some as many as a dozen. Where did they get these boats from? It's like just weird that they're like, hey, guys. Well, Ryan, not to make you sound like an idiot, but it's it's the late 1700s and uh, they're they're on an island, a series of islands. There's going to be a lot of boats is what I'm saying. But how many Jesus boats? Jesus Christ, where, kid. Where do you get all these boats from? Tons of boats. This is also only successful if the British don't have a clue what is going on. Some luck and planning pull it off. They were so successful at secrecy that most of the colonials did not know that they were even evacuating until they were actually on the move. That morning, as the evacuation was still going down, a very heavy fog rolled in, which is also good for covering your escape. Mayor Benjamin Talmadge described the fog as being so thick that you could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. Perfect secret evacuation weather. Washington w- was determined to stay until the very last boat. He even won. though there, yeah, he's such an asshole. Even though there was a thick fog, <laughs> there's a story that men started overcrowding a boat for fear of British showing up at any moment. So Washington picked up a big rock and threatened to bash them <laughs> in their dicks with it unless they got out of the boat. <laughs> Listen, you little and bitches. And when Washington threatens to bash your dick in with a rock, you listen. <laughs> George eventually gets into the last boat and sets out across the river to the sounds of British gunfire behind him. Talk about a close call, Ryan. <laughs> they had got out literally at the last second. No casualties. Incredible story. Woo! Very high. End. This basically it. saved America. Amen. <laughs> don't don't. All of our overseas listeners feel lucky. This is how we do it here in America. Damn it. They had royally fucked up in the defense of Brooklyn. It's like flying into the Death Star. No, it's more like letting the Death Star sneak around you. But then Washington is like... That's no moon. It's a space station. It's too big to be a space station. Now Washington is on a roll. He's found something that he's pretty good at evacuation now he starts saying things like let's make like burning down the rest of new york city and get the hell out of here let's make like a tree and leave <laughs> it's make like a tree and leave you idiot congress is like um mm. nah don't do that yeah don't funny how protect... checks and balances are supposed to work protect new york on september 12th the war council was like Fuck New York. And they decided to no longer defend the city. George officially moves his headquarters to the Dutch village of Harlem. Did not know that before I researched for the show, so that was cool. 
And he specifically stayed in a mansion on the heights of Harlem, so a little hill that overlooked all of Harlem. And there's not like that much of an elevation change there, really, honestly, so it's kind of funny that they mentioned that it was even a, a hill, but whatever. As Washington begins to officially relocate, the British are confused and didn't really even notice that the Americans had surrendered the city of New York. There were several men still stationed in the city. I assume this is an attempt to achieve the theatrics that worked in the past. Move the men undercover and keep up the pretenses of being present to hopefully delay the enemy as long as possible. On the night of September 14th, five British ships dropped anchor at Kipps Bay. In the morning, 84 barges at the British hit over at Long Island appear with an estimated 4,000 British troops on them. For reference, Kipps Bay is centrally located on Manhattan on the East River side. The morning of the 15th, the British ships begin to hammer the shoreline of Kipps Bay. These ships begin to unleash a brutal assault on the shoreline of the bay unlike anything in the Patriot Army has ever seen. It's kind of funny to me that they are attacking the shoreline so heavily because the only real fortification that existed was a ditch dug on the shoreline with dirt. And when they, it's just dug out of the dirt, and when they flipped the dirt out, they just kind of flipped it to the sea, like, oh, we're just going to dig a, hopefully a deeper ditch and like a little, little mound here. We have an account from Joseph Plum Martin, quote, I made a leapfrog for the ditch and lay as still as I possibly could and began to consider which part of my carcass was going to go first. That's some, like, seriously scary shit. Like, oh, my God. I think I'm going to die. Oh, my God. Washington, witnessing the campfire and smoke coming out of Kipps Bay, rushes four miles south of his Harlem HQ to inspect the battle. When he reaches a point about a half mile outside of Kipps Bay, he sees troops rushing towards him, quote, retreating with the utmost precipitation, flying in every direction and in the greatest confusion. You see, after an hour of softening the shoreline, British and Hessian soldiers begin to come on shore. And much like that battle in Brooklyn that Justin mentioned, the Hessian mercenaries ruthlessly execute anyone attempting to surrender. It was a motherfucking bloodbath. Seriously. As I'm sure I would if I were in Washington's shoes, he flew into a fucking rage. Literally, he began to whip the fleeing men. Some of the officers drew their swords and began to fire their pistols. They were trying to get the men to stay and fight. They were attempting to organize the men to defend certain key positions. The men kept running. And while fleeing, were discarding their rifles, their powder horns, tents, anything that weighed them down and impeded their ability to run as fast as possible. This scene is what caused Washington to famously quote, Are these the men with which I am to defend America? Washington was in such a bad place that if he noticed any officers fleeing with their men, he would mercilessly beat the ever-living shit out of them. Imagine that the commander-in-chief beating his own officers for being fucking cowards. It's at this point that George has a complete and utter mental breakdown. There is a moment where George is sitting atop his horse, staring at the enemy as they approach him. The Hessians were only about 90 yards away when his aides had to grab the reins of his horse and get him the hell out of there. 
Nathaniel Green noted, quote, So vexed at the infamous conduct of his troops, he sought death rather than life. George went full-on suicidal. Oddly enough, once the troops were in full flight, Hal didn't really pursue. He had what he came here for today. New York was his and would remain his for the rest of the war. It was quickly established as the British headquarters. This dealt a heavy blow to Washington's spirits. The next day, Washington would get a much-needed confidence boost. The British sent troops up north to Harlem and were met with 1,800 Patriot soldiers. Again, that's kind of establishing where we are. The British are in the south part of Manhattan, and George Washington is in the north part of Manhattan. The southern part of Manhattan is considered New York, and the upper part of Manhattan is considered Harlem, just to kind of like reference, because they keep talking about these areas, and I'm really afraid that people have no clue what we're talking about. Um, look at a map. Look at a map. Actually, I'm going to put, I have a really good map that I'm going to put up. Uh, they both sustained about 150 casualties, but the Patriots were able to make the Brits quit the battlefield. George noted about the event in the Harlem Woods, quote, The behavior of yesterday was such a contrast to that of some troops the day before as must show what may be done where officers and soldiers will exert themselves. He was definitely still salty that everyone was fucking running away from the battlefield the other day. And he was like, fuck you guys. All this running away during battle prompted George to find some new officers and aides. It's at this time George begins to court young Alexander Hamilton, kind of desiring that the young handsome lad would join his military family, right? Like, I think George kind of had the hots for him in, in like a military kind of way. Hamilton is really hot right now. <laughs> He's so hot right now. A few That's going to be our next POTUS life. He's hot, so hot right now. Do you POTUS want to do- life remix. Of the um, Hamilton. Are we going to do it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. We need to do something. I want to write a script with you. I think that would be fun. I think we should do a movie. Yeah. Uh, Let There Be Fleshlight. <laughs> it's a movie that I want to make about the origins of the fleshlight. <laughs> and I want it to be called Let There Be Fleshlight. Hey, Justin, did you know I have a I have a BAFTA for doing a documentary? Nope. In fact, Anyway, that's a that's like kind of like a British Oscar in a ways. A British Oscar Emmy, more of an Emmy. Yeah, go take your Emmy and shove it up your butt. Shove it up your butt. I might. Uh, anyway, a few days after all this craziness went down, the night of the twentieth, New York was mysteriously set ablaze. George got a little excited and apparently said, "Quote." Providence or some good honest fellows had done more for us than we." disposed to do for ourselves which is a little fucked up because the whole reason they didn't burn the city in the first place was because was because a shit ton of people lived there although if they had burnt that thing to the ground the brits would have had a much harder time establishing solid roots in manhattan then again without the lore of new york city the british may have pursued washington and his troops a little more vigorously ending the entire war after their assault on kipps bay or probably at least ending it for George and just killing him. I mean, if they didn't have to go to New York, they would just fucking hunt him down and continue to go. A congressional delegation made its way to Harlem after such a turbulent week. They wanted to take a look at the state of the camp and to check in with George. 
George does that thing again where he tells congressmen that he has no money and no supplies, which was totally true since a whole bunch of soldiers surrendered their supplies in the field when they were running away at Kipps Bay. Uh, you know, so Congress agrees to give $20 and 100 acres of land to any man that joins. This should assist George in recruiting new soldiers for now. Alas, after a long week of battle and hard conversations with a bunch of congressmen, George again writes his distant cousin, Lund Washington. He tells Lund that he would never wish anything like the command he has been given upon anyone, not even his worst enemy. George always being dramatic, his thoughts quickly turn to Mount Vernon. He finally decides where he wants the chimney in the new room that he's constructing. He wants it in the middle, in case you were wondering. George insists that the new addition be done, quote, in a masterly manner, as you do, George, as you do. Well, uh, that about wraps it up for us, I think. That's all I've got. Yep, that's it for the man on the $1 bill, America. Way to go, America. Well, uh, go like us on iTunes, give us some reviews, go give us some Facebook love, spread that word, and all that. Amen and amen. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and trouser in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington.